Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Okay, the book of Ruth uh, ends where the Jamie began last week. And he started talking about the begats in uh, Matthew. In fact, one little bit of the uh, begats is right here. Matthew quotes this little bit, and it return. This is the end of the very end of the story. Uh, This is the family history of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. And Boaz was the father of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Notice anything strange about this list of begats? Well, there are no women. Part of the reason is that the world of the Old Testament is a man's world in which women played very few roles that were considered important. Ruth is a story that stands out because it is a story in which the female actors, the protagonists, play roles that are more important than any others. So, in contrast to the ending of the book where there are no women, the beginning of the book of Ruth wipes out all the male characters and starts with only women characters who happen to talk quite a lot about God and are, in fact, very important to, the, to biblical theologians. And, and they are very important biblical theologians in their own right. All their talk about God shows us that God is the most important character in the, in the entire story. Carolyn uh, James, in her book uh, on, uh, on the book of Ruth called The Gospel of Ruth, and I highly recommend it, says this, God is the true hero of the story. No matter how captivating the other characters may be, our top priority is to discover what the Bible reveals about God. Often, Ruth is viewed as a simple love story, a shining uh, moment in the dark time in the uh, history of Israel. While Ruth does teach us a lot about love, the book is also packed with deep insights about God and His relationship with His people. This can be said about any portion of the Bible, of course. So, whenever we study God's Word, our main quest is always to discover what the author is telling us about God and what God is telling us about Himself. If we marginalize God or make someone else the the focal point, we will always miss the main message of the book. Always. Second, and this is really important, and so you're going to need to put on your thinking caps just a little bit, and that is any time we study the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, uh, where men and women are involved together, we need to go back to the legacy of Eve for all women. And that's, that's important. What did God give to women at creation? This is also the key to understanding Ruth and Naomi. In Genesis 2, God says that He made Eve to be an Ezer warrior. An Azer warrior. Say that. Azer warrior. Okay. An, an Azer, that's a, that's a, Ezer is in Hebrew is, uh, is a powerful Hebrew military term similar to hero, that is used most often in the Bible to describe God as Israel's helper. You see, when we use the word helper 
in English, generally helper is considered a person of lower status. But in the Old Testament, the word helper, ezer, represents usually God and always someone of a higher status, except in this case where the formula for equality is used. Ezer kenegedo. Ezer that corresponds to him or that is equal to him. And it comes across, it's just butchered in all of our English texts for the most part. There are some newer versions that are catching up to the understanding of the Hebrew. But uh, so uh, God employs this term twice when he creates the woman. He says, uh, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to live alone. You see, he needs a hero to save him from his loneliness and his yeah, himself. <laughs> good. <laughs> the Lord, I will make a helper, Ezer, Ezer suitable for him. The Bible's consistent use of Azer within a military context has led to the conclusion that God created the woman to be a warrior alongside the man in advancing God's kingdom throughout the earth. This is every woman's calling, regardless of her, of her age. Regardless of her age, marital status, or circumstances, every woman is an Azer from birth to death. So women can say with full assurance, along with their brothers, we are warriors for God's purposes alongside our brothers in Christ. You see, that's this is the gospel of creation. You've got to get that in your Bible understanding before you read the rest of the Bible or you're going to get messed up. So God created woman to, women to be His image bearers, just like He created man to be His image bearer, to know Him to become like Him, to represent Him in their interactions with others. And as theologians, in their own right, Naomi and Ruth understand that the world revolves around God. Their mission is to center themselves on Him and to trust Him and to advance His kingdom. They do that as Azer warriors, fighting battles He places in their path. God has created women to be warriors. He stations, stations them on all sorts of battlefronts every day of their lives. And men too. On the surface, Ruth and Naomi's battles seem mundane and insignificant. Little do they know that the everyday struggles to survive will, uh, will actually achieve something that far outweighs their wildest imaginations. So, we are intended to read the last part of the book, that uh, bit of genealogy, with a bit of a sting of sadness as we recite again the male genealogy of David through Ruth. But now we know that women are heroes too. And after reading this, the book of Ruth, we can never forget it and it changes everything. Isn't that true? That's the gospel. That's good news. All right, so we're going to listen to a brief video that puts the book of Ruth right into focus for us, and uh, you'll enjoy it. The book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. 
Chapter one opens with this line, in the days when the judges rule. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter three begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow. And she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family. And he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. 
And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter one. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz, and each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her, but actually the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer, who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. That'll preach. That'll preach. And so much so that uh, this morning when I read it, to, read the sermon to my wife, she said, now what are you going to say? So uh, <laughs> it's right. And uh, so, <laughs> so Ruth was a young woman when in her 20s, she probably, when she crossed uh, the border from Jordan into Israel. When she did that, she entered a country that had a long history of tensions with her native Jordan. The decision to cross the border into Israel had many cons that were against it. If you were to count pros and cons, there was nothing good about the decision she was making. It came on the heels of a chain of events that cemented her low status in society. No matter which side of the border she chose, she would live in a, a life of grinding poverty on the margins. No one knows for sure why Ruth married Malon, 
But uh, in, in a culture in which marriages were arranged to benefit the family by affirming alliances for wealth and business and political power, this girl was married off to a famine refugee. Think about that just for a second. Not exactly what you would call marrying up. The marriage lasted for 10 years, after which time her husband Malon died. As difficult as her becoming a young widow was, her widowhood was complicated by the fact that during those 10 years they had not had a single pregnancy, not a single child. She didn't even have a daughter to show for her marriage. She was certifiably barren. No respectable man would want a woman like that because she needed to have sons. And the number of sons that a woman had was the gold standard for measuring a woman's worth in society. So this young woman was a zero, folks. Except for her mother-in-law's failed effort to get her daughter, uh, daughter-in-law to return to her, her own country, the border crossing between Jordan and Israel came off without a hitch. To be fair... The reason her mother-in-law tried her best to dissuade Ruth from going to Israel was not because she was a racist, but because she was a realist. She knew there was no future in Israel for a daughter-in-law in the little village of Bethlehem, that uh, this daughter-in-law who was from a different country, and she only meant to spare her. But once Ruth was in Bethlehem, she had no means of support, so she had to rely on welfare. She ended up on, as a field worker scavenging for scraps of grain behind harvesters, picking up whatever was left after they had cleared the field, and that put her in the path of a powerful landowner. The, powerful, the power differential between those, the women and this man are enormous. They couldn't be more pronounced or more chilling. Of course, the undocumented immigrant that I'm describing is Ruth the Moabitess. Many of us have heard Ruth's story hundreds of times. My daughter used to read Ruth and other stories about women while I was preaching. Uh, as, as a preacher, when she, when she grew up in, in, uh, under my preaching, and, and I think that was part of her way of staying sane in a man's world uh, for herself. We've also heard Ruth's mother-in-law uh, Ruth's mother-in-law's story many times, because the book of Ruth is about Noemi too. Noemi shared Ruth's zero status. She left behind in Moab three graves, the graves of her husband and her two sons. It was a total wipeout. But how the story has been told has not stirred the slightest twinge of sympathy for her in most of our churches. In fact, most readers have been fairly critical of her for complaining, and we have trivialized her suffering. We've blamed her for her troubles. We've been impatient with her to get over it and to move on. This book reveals the passion that God has for His daughters. It also gives us a stunning picture of the Gospel's power. Yes, the Gospel's power of its work in the lives of human beings. For my money... It's one of the best and most powerful pictures of the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's the story of the female Job, a woman who feels as if God has abandoned her. Job, for his part, questioned God's justice. Naomi questions God's love. 
Naomi and Ruth are instantly at risk for the death, uh, after the deaths of the men in, in their family. Anyone can abuse them or mistreat them with impunity. The basic protections that we assume in our culture are totally absent in theirs. None of this is lost on Ruth. She's witnessed the collapse, not, get this, the collapse of Naomi's world and Ruth is suffering it too. And she is also a widow and she will not be able to hide her barrenness any longer. And against all odds, Ruth embraces Naomi's God. You see, that's the thing we need to key in with. Just at the moment when Naomi has, is most embittered toward God and saying some pretty difficult things to hear about God is when Ruth accepts God. Isn't that amazing? How the worst sermon can make the best, uh, can have the best outcome sometimes. I, that, I take faith in that sometimes. But, uh, you know, so Naomi, even at her lowest, is still a light bearer, y'all. The gospel does transform us. You know, it's, it's in this power, it transforms our lives. And at this moment, at that pivotal moment, it was a transformation for Ruth as well because she becomes, at that moment, Yahweh's child now. She has accepted Yahweh. And this woman who arrives in Bethlehem is not the little girl who left Jordan. She's maybe counted out by the culture, but she's not counted out by God. There are battles to fight. And when she arrives in Bethlehem, hunger is waiting for them on the doorstep. These battles are going to require boldness. They'll require that Ruth move out of her comfort zone and make radical proposals to a very powerful man. The power of the Gospel rescues and transforms, yes, but it also does something else. It unites God's sons and daughters in a powerful kingdom alliance to change the world. Naomi and Boaz are Ruth's seniors. They are from the older generation, and both of them refer to Ruth as my daughter. They are true Israelites, seasoned believers, if you will. They have been raised on the Mosaic law. Boaz and the women and the women live at polar opposites of the social spectrum. Boaz is a man of great stature. He wouldn't have been if he hadn't had, and he wouldn't have been if he hadn't had sons, which is something we need to think about. He was born of a prominent family and was and culturally empowered to lead. He put, to put a finer point on it, this man had endured years of famine and was now in economic recovery. Ruth shows up in the story as a gutsy risk taker. She's female. She's an immigrant. She's young. She's poor. She's a brand new convert. She's marginalized. She looks different. She talks funny. She has no rights, no voice. But none of that matters now because instead of staying out of his way, she challenges Boaz's interpretation of the Mosaic law twice. And Boaz remarkably listens to her. The results of her interaction with him is that the three of them, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, achieve a powerful alliance to advance God's kingdom without even knowing it. She moves Boaz from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. The letter of the law said, let them glean. The spirit of the law says, feed them. 
The letter of the law says responsibility for a family member falls on the blood brother or the nearest male relative. The spirit of the law says God calls His people to care for and sacrifice for one another. In the Old Testament, this story begins to foreshadow the Sermon on the Mount. Boaz discovers through his interaction with Ruth that serving God has infinite possibilities. For example, in the barley field, and he just becomes inventive about how to go beyond the law, which I think is really cool. Uh, He issues a series of executive orders to empower her. He authorizes her not to wait until the field is harvested, but to glean behind the harvesters so she can get more. He gives her access to food and water. He bans his harvesters from uh, harming or abusing her in any way, and he issues a standing invitation for her to return. A beautiful picture of a man using his power and position to bless others. Ruth, for her part, takes home 29 pounds of winnowed barley that day about 10 or 20 times as much as the male day laborers that would have been working in that field. Ruth impacts Naomi too. God answers Naomi through Ruth. You see, she had lots of doubts about God. God has turned His hand against me. I, God has, has, has forsaken me. He's, he's, he's against me. And really, ultimately, is raising that question, is God good for women? That's, that's something at the heart of this, and I think something we need to look at and ask as we read this passage. So she's asked these big questions about God abandoning her and raising His hand against her, and God doesn't send a prophet to answer. He doesn't speak from heavens. He doesn't send a vision. He speaks to Naomi through little Ruth. When Naomi is feeling most abandoned on the road from Jordan to Israel, she is held in a human embrace. Hearing fierce words of covenant love spoken over her by her daughter-in-law, stop asking me to leave you. Stop asking me to leave you. I will never leave you. God comes to her in the guise of a pagan, Jordanian, undocumented immigrant. And in that sense, Ruth speaks to Naomi for God and becomes also a figure of Christ for us as well. And she is feeling forgotten, as she is feeling forgotten and depressed, as she waits for Ruth that day to come home from the the gleaning, she I'm sure she worries about what would have happened with Ruth during that time. But she comes home not with bruises, not with stories of tears or of rape. She comes with a boatload of barley and a and meal Uh, of roasted grain, and that is the moment when Naomi's hope in God revives. Reassured of God's love for her, Naomi seeks a husband for Ruth. She's not being a matchmaker. She's seeking shelter and support for her daughter-in-law because she knows that Ruth will most likely outlive her. Ruth is Naomi's widow's might. She is giving her up. And she, (laughs) but Ruth has vowed to care for her mother-in-law. She's not about to go off looking for a husband for herself. She's bent on rescuing Noemi's family. And in an act of staggering faith, Ruth, we need to get this, barren Ruth volunteers to present herself for marriage. And what that means is to present herself to have a son. Do you see that? You get the faith there. This barren woman volunteers 
for something that will expose, if it is exposed, if, if, if God doesn't come through, it will expose her barrenness. You've got to understand, in that culture, that's a very big deal. That is the meaning in that culture, reaching out to be married. When we find Boaz in, his part of the story, in this part of the story, he's at the threshing floor, guarding what belongs to him. The nearest relative spares out the ter- spells out the terms of what it would be like to accept this woman. Enormous risks are involved for which, uh, for whichever man accepts that responsibility. The nearest kinsman redeemer will have to do what? He will have to buy that field. He'll have to work that field again, get it up to speed and get it producing again and marry the woman and have a son. And if a son is born to them, then that will be a losing proposition for that family. It's a difficult situation. That said, I detect in that man's words when he says, I can't do it, a hint of racism, dare I say it? Because why? Yeah, it's true that he, it, there were some risks involved. And he's polite. But I've seen in my life that racism hides well behind the mask of legitimate concerns and politeness. In the final analysis, I suspect that the kinsman redeemer who flaked out did so not only for the risks involved, but because Ruth was a Jordanian, a Moabite, a despised person. It is interesting to me that the narrator never mentions the relative by name. He only calls him so-and-so. It's the narrator's way, narrator's way who is very intent on remembering the good names of noble people. It's the narrator's way of spitting in the face of that man who rejects his responsibility. But Boaz doesn't skip a beat. There's no racism in his soul, and he gladly sacrifices his wealth. Ruth makes the ultimate sacrifice and gives her son to Naomi. And God redeploys Naomi. She's not worthless. She has a job to do too. She raises her son on the strong theology that she learned in the school of suffering. I think that every time I read this story and go over it with my translation teams, it it overwhelms me. It makes me want to think twice before I count anyone out for God's kingdom purposes. There are no zeros in God's eyes. Every image bearer is indispensable. It gives me hope that despite the fall, God's kingdom strategy is still unchanged. He is still in the business of forging potent kingdom alliances between His sons and daughters. And when He does that, the world will know that Jesus has come in His kingdom and and that this kingdom is not of this world. And for that to happen, we need a powerful gospel. And that's exactly what we have in the book of Ruth. God bless you. May God bless the reading of and the studying of His Word today. Okay. All right, if you would stand up, we're going to respond to the Lord. And uh, just the Word that's being spoken here. And um, there's, there's actually a, a number of challenging ways to to hear this word today and uh, I think one of the things that hit me as I listened in the first service 
was that you know we kind of find ourselves we're, we're we're able to identify with somebody in that story and not just on gender alone although it could be that's something that the Lord's really speaking to you, calling you forward, out, into, and that you matter, and that you are an image bearer. And I'm looking at the, trying to look, look at the women, and the you together we are image bearers, and it's a together thing that we do to advance the kingdom of God and to express the gospel of of God through in Jesus Christ. But you know, just as we're going to respond here, I mean, where are you at in the story? So is it, is it uh, Naomi, and you've gone through hard times and, and suffering, and, and it's, maybe it's time to move, move on. Maybe it's time to, you, you've been there, you've been going down that road long enough, and it's time to just, it's time to move forward. That may be you. And it may be like Ruth, you know, that just, you've been pushed down, you've been counted less than, but there's trust and faith in your heart in God, and you want to step forward, and it's time to go. And it might be that, like Boaz, hello, band. One of the things that hit me is just, just FYI, so many of us we have still on. so Adrian much, left it on, so I don't and know it's in it's our on. power to actually. It's in our influence. It's in our wealth. It's in our time. It's 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 it, within us to actually do something. And if that's you, I just want to just ask that we would repent today, that we would align ourselves, calibrate ourselves to what is the Lord saying to us and how we together advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we together proclaim His goodness and His love. And uh, it's all in this story. So Father, would you just meet us, whatever that place of response is in our hearts, Lord, if we just, uh, in our brokenness, in our suffering, Lord, in our in our need and our feeling under and less than and all of that Lord call us up Lord and in the places where you've given us influence Lord we want to take a step forward whatever your need is just today's a day to get prayer and to respond to God and his grace and his love if it's to start a journey with Jesus whatever it is you guys come and get prayer let's spend some time praying into this meet us here today Lord as we align ourselves to you as we say goodbye to the old and embrace the new as we embrace the promise of inclusion, that you, Jesus, you died for everybody. Everybody will ever see, ever meet, ever. You died for. So Lord, align our hearts as we respond to you today. In Jesus' mighty name. Hey, whatever your need is, come. Get prayer. May even just be for healing or something's going on in your life. Let's, let's pray together. we got time today. God meets us right here in these times. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the word. Go for it. Be bold.
Everybody, I just uh, just wanted to, I have a little bit of a word that goes with what we've been saying, and that is that that it, no matter who you are or what's happened in your life, how weak you may feel or broken or confused or lost, God has created you according to what we've seen in the Bible today to be a powerful person, to be a powerful person that is able to reach in, connect with the power He's offering you, which is the power of the resurrection. And that's what we really see in the life of Ruth, in the life of all of these, in the life of Israel. We see a resurrection happening. And you may have come this morning with a sense that things have died in your life, that something has died, or that death is hanging around, or that, that there's this, there's this uh, word that I've, I've been hearing that some, some people have heard it would be it would be better for me to die. If if that is what you've been hearing, I just I just want you to know that God is giving you good news today. That it's not true. That God has created you to be a powerful person, a person connected with resurrection life, a person that uh, that overcomes through the obstacles that come uh, our way, and and that also has a community of believers like uh, like Boaz and 
and the Noemi, and you have been welcomed in to that community. And that's the community of resurrection life, the community that changes everything. And that's what we're about today. So if that's you, just, just respond in whatever way that, uh, that you need to respond.